Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening, children of the night. For the last two weeks, as we've journeyed south, we've heard about killings, killings, and more killings. This week will be devoid of any deaths whatsoever. Unless you count the billions of human deaths that will occur in the near future, as is forecasted by all but the most hopeful of speculative fiction. Our first stop in Georgia is not very horrific, but it is mysterious and would fit solidly on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, if it hasn't been featured already. In June 1979, a man introduces himself to the staff of Alberton Granite Finishing as Robert C. Christian, representing a small group of loyal Americans. This group had been planning a monument and wanting it constructed in Alberton because he felt that it produced the finest granite in the whole world over. Joe Fenley, the president of Alberton Granite, was shocked to hear what Christian was asking for, granite slabs larger than any had ever been quarried in the county. Plus, he wanted them cut, finished, and assembled into an enormous monument to mark the passage of the sun and to mark the North Star. Asking for more details, Fenley heard that this monument would serve as a compass, clock, and calendar, and would have guides written in eight different languages to help humanity pick up the pieces of itself after the pending catastrophe, whatever that may be. Fenley, believing he would discourage the crazy man by quoting an enormous price, Christian was undeterred by this and asked to be referred to a trustworthy banker in town. Fenley referred him to Wyatt Martin, the president of Granite City Bank. Christian told Martin that his name was not his actual name. His group had been planning this monument for two decades and would stay anonymous forever. Christian left the bank to find a plane to charter to scout the area. Meanwhile, Fenley and Martin remained skeptical of this mysterious person and the monument that he asked for. 
Martin refused to continue to work with the man unless he disclosed his true identity. Eventually, the two negotiated that Christian would do so on the condition that Martin would serve as his only intermediary, sign a confidentiality agreement, and to destroy all documents after the project was complete. Before leaving town again, Christian left a wooden model of the monument and ten pages of instructions to Fenley, and a $10,000 cash deposit with Martin. Fenley's company began work on the guide stones, having to purchase special equipment and hire expert stonecutters to quarry and finish the stones. A five-acre plot on the Double Seven Farms would be purchased for $5,000 in agreement that the original owners and his children would have lifetime grazing rights for their cattle. After the purchase, Christian bid Fenley goodbye and left the office to never be seen by the man again. An astronomer was employed to assist with the astrological portions of the monument, and UN translators were used to help with some of the languages to be used on the guidestones. In early 1980, construction on the monument itself was underway. Meanwhile, critics claimed that Fenley and Martin were behind the whole thing, and there was no Christian at all. The pair volunteered to take polygraph tests and passed convincingly. Also, a local pastor claimed that occult groups would use the monument as a place for sacrifices. Despite the critics, the unveiling of the Guidestones was on March 22, 1980. Congressman Doug Bernard addressed a crowd of hundreds in attendance to see the stones. News crews from Atlanta would broadcast the ten guidelines etched in eight languages, which would draw even more controversy, the first of the ten guides being the most controversial. First, Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Second, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Third, unite humanity with a living new language. Fourth, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Fifth, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Sixth, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seventh, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eighth, balance personal rights with social duties. Ninth, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Tenth, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Over the 35 years of its existence, it has been vandalized once, but attracted many theories of its origins and who made it. Personally, I'd like to think that Cicada 3301 group are behind it, but that is another mystery for another time. For now, those stones still loom silently, waiting for us to butcher ourselves and then help the survivors rebuild. I feel our story for the night appropriate to this favorite mystery of mine. The story comes from Paul Kane, who we heard from only two weeks ago with another story. Paul Kane was born in the town of Chesterfield, Derbyshire, UK in 1973, and grew up on an estate not too far away. The son of a miner and a former secretary, Paul developed a taste for the strange and outlandish at an early age after his granddad read him a bedtime story about a mysterious house that dwelt within a sea of fog. In his early teens, he discovered the joys of horror, science fiction, and fantasy literature, raiding the local second-hand bookshops for anything and everything associated with these genres. Paul read insatiably, often sneaking away during school dinner hours to lose himself in the pages of such tomes. Paul has a very detailed biography on his website, which is, of course, linked in the show notes. He has an enormous collection of writing accomplishments, more than we could recount here. However, most recently, 
His new novel from SST Publications, Blood Red, is now available. If you ignored me two weeks ago, again, if you visit his site and check out only one thing, please check out his Hellraiser page. In it, he is quoted, uh, has a quote from Clive Barker, naming Paul as the resident Hellraiser expert. Those movies are crazy, and I love them. This week, we will be hearing his story, Keeper of the Light. He was one of the last keepers. They were a dying breed, their homes taken over. Harry Ingleby made his way up the winding staircase, the smooth white walls gently guiding him to his destination up top. It was impossible to get lost in such a place, the levels connected by the spiraling set of steps. There were only four, anyway, the ground floor with its entrance and porch housing the generator that powered this whole structure, the living area, which also contained his kitchen, his bedroom level, then almost at the very top, where he was heading right now, to the service room where the fuel and replacement lamps were stored, plus the small emergency battery. Impossible to lose your way, Hard not to be aware of everything that was happening on every floor. He paused on the stairs, listening to the sounds which echoed throughout the tall edifice. The thrum of the device which kept his charge alive, conducted along its length like a note carried on a tuning fork. That's how he felt about the precious commodity he'd been placed in charge of. It was alive, and he was here to take care of it. Day in, day out, he'd maintain it, fixing problems where he could, feeding the generator, polishing lenses ready for a quick switch. Lives depended on him, and the sentinel he took care of. Harry continued his climb to the service room and out onto a balcony situated just below the main lens, the gallery. Even here, at an angle to the lens itself, you had to be careful not to look directly at the beam, as prolonged exposure could blind you. Harry didn't want that. Imagine permanent darkness. He couldn't think of anything more frightening. Well, maybe one thing. But it was okay to just stand and lean against the rail, looking out over the edge of his little piece of Britain. He took up the binoculars hanging from his neck. It was rough out there tonight, dangerous, plenty of need for his light. And even as he thought it, the beam swept round again in its obligatory arc, passing over his head and cutting a swath into the night, doing the same round the other side as well. Harry couldn't help smiling as he lowered his glasses. They were a good team, him and the lamp. Together they made a difference. Some might say it was a lonely existence he'd chosen. Actually, technically, it chose him, but Harry was used to being alone. He'd been on his own for some time now, a good few years, ever since his wife and children had died in the accident, an accident he still blamed himself for. Harry had to stop himself from thinking about it, 
And even as he did, his eyes began to water, tears threatening to break through, but he sniffed them back. Stupid, he told himself, what good can come of dwelling on the past? It was the present, the future, he should be concentrating on, the good work he was doing now, preventing deaths. And he was never truly alone as long as he had his lighthouse. He spotted another tiny light in the distance, growing closer. Bringing his binoculars up again, he pressed them hard against the sockets of his eyes. His grip tightened as he adjusted the magnification, attempting to see more clearly. He could still only make out a faint glow in the distance. Harry let the glasses drop and gripped the rail in front of him instead, leaning forward as if that might afford him a better view than using the binoculars. The beam above him swung around again, completing another 360-degree turn and blasting its luminescence outwards. Would they see it? Harry wondered. See it in time? Was more to the point. Would it help? He brought up his glasses one last time, but the tiny light on the horizon had already vanished. Harry had no idea, but he hoped they'd spotted the beam. He hoped it had reached them out there, a warning and a comforting message that someone was keeping an eye out. He hoped they'd turned away, and that's why he could no longer see their own light, but he had no way of knowing or finding out. He could use the radio, he realized. Harry had to do that anyway, because although he had just about enough fuel for now, he was a bit worried about that overdue replacement part. One of the cogs integral to the rotation of the beam had started to struggle, wearing down from overuse. He could hear it, only a slight rattle, but it was there. He heard everything. They'd promised to deliver the replacement last time he'd made contact, but it was yet to materialize. Harry understood that his superiors were busy people, but their lack of thought could easily put people in jeopardy. Tutting, he made his way back down a couple of levels and fired up the transceivers and speaker system, powered, like the internal lights he had on here, by the generator. That wasn't to say he didn't have his backups. Harry always had those now. There were oil lamps on every single level, because you could never be too careful. This place was too important for everything to go dark. For everything to... Harry busied himself on the radio, twiddling knobs. He hadn't used it in a while. Didn't even really talk to the other keepers on it. He preferred instead to keep himself to himself. It was better that way. Only speaking to people when needs must but at the same time providing them with an invaluable service, a service that might just keep them alive. It was ironic, because now that he wanted to get in touch with someone, all that was thrown back at him was static. Hello, said Harry, can anyone hear me? Nothing. Harry had never been a big fan of mobile phones. It used to take him about half an hour to answer a text, but even if he wasn't, such a thing would do him no good here. There was zero chance of getting any signal. He'd been told that when he moved in. The main phone lines were also sporadic due to location, and more often than not, would be dead. 
like today, radio really was his only hope of getting through, or at least it had been. Hello, anyone? Harry tried again. Still, just the hiss of static. No contact with the tiny light, no word from his superiors or even his colleagues. He banked his fist on the table. Breathing in and out slowly, he calmed himself down. It wasn't worth getting this upset over, was it? It might be. Harry hadn't quite decided. That cog was rattling again as the beam swiveled round. Perhaps it was time to get some sleep. He'd been up very early that morning. And why was that? he asked himself. Because you hadn't been able to sleep, that's why. No, it was because of the chores he had to do, the rituals that kept him going and kept this place going, kept his living light alive, kept his mind off other things. Things like arriving home and seeing his wife Claire, seeing the state of his children, Toby and Sally Ann, if only he'd listened to the warnings, if only he'd made sure they were protected. Harry closed his eyes, pinching the bridge of his nose with his fingers. That was why he'd taken this job, wasn't it? At least partially. Yes, he could run away and hide here, but he was also trying to keep those strangers out there safe, doing for them what he hadn't been able to do for his family, which was why that tiny light had upset him so much. He didn't have a clue whether he'd made a difference, whether he'd been able to offer them a chance. Sleep. You should try and sleep now, he told himself yet again. But Harry still found himself back up in that service room, checking over the mechanics, polishing the spare lenses until he thought he might just wear them through. And all the time above him, the lamp kept on turning, wiping aside the darkness like a chess player, frustrated at losing, knocking all the pieces from the board. And he wondered what had happened to that tiny glow out there, the people traveling alone in the emptiness, perhaps bringing supplies or transporting families, families like his own. What the hell was wrong with him? Usually he could hold it together enough to focus on his job, his very important job, but there had been the sense that he was a part of something before, something much bigger than just himself, in spite of how much he wanted to be left to his own devices. Now, well, he wasn't so sure. There was only one way to tell, but he didn't want to go there, not even for a moment. It was inviting trouble, and while there was, well, there was still hope, there was life. Wasn't there? Harry considered trying the radio again, but what was the point? What would have changed in the past hour or so? He looked at the clock there on the wall. Not flush, because how could you fit something flat against a rounded wall? He would have had the same trouble with paintings or photos if he'd even bothered with them. The hands told him how much time had passed, but he rarely kept track of the days or months anymore. They'd all blurred into one. He only marked them out now by the tasks he had to accomplish. The routines he set himself, keeping himself busy in case... 
There was that rattle again. That cog really needed replacing. How was he expected to keep everything going smoothly without any replacement parts? It was ridiculous. How was he supposed to keep people safe? Harry shook his head at the thought of it. Lax, very lax of them. If he wasn't going to sleep, he should at least eat, keep his strength up. Something told Harry that this was going to be a busy period, that he'd be needed more now than ever. He fixed himself a sandwich from the stalks in the fridge, which, unlike the fuel, was running quite low. The cheese and meat was already going off, a pot of spread the only thing he dared risk. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't look after yourself well enough, he said to himself, and again pushed thoughts of Claire from his mind. That was what she used to say when he got home from his previous job and hadn't eaten all day. Harry, what are we going to do with you? You need to eat, sweetheart. If you don't, then... Then what? He snapped out loud. The sound of his own voice surprised Harry, but he knew the answer to his question. Claire would have said the same thing. Then you'll let down the people relying on you. People could wind up dead, just like... Say it. Go on, say it. Just like you and the kids... Harry suddenly didn't feel all that hungry. The rattling was definitely growing louder, the cog wearing even more. What should he do? Attempt to fix it? No, he knew what would happen in the meantime. Someone was bound to come along who needed the light to guide them to safety, and it wouldn't be working. Actually, that wasn't true. It wouldn't be rotating, but it would still be on, needed to be on just fixed in one position, which he could aim. But what if he wasn't able to do anything with the cog once it had been taken out? Harry had neither the skills nor the facilities to make another one. As it turned out, that little cog was the least of his concerns. Harry would have noticed it had he not been listening to the rattle, 
had his mind not been on other things, just as it had when he should have been making sure his family was all right. The thrum of the generator itself was a little off, the consequence of an air bubble in the tank itself. Harry had been too quick filling up the last time and was about to pay the price. The generator made a strange noise, halfway between a grunt and a whine, then it began to splutter. Harry looked up to begin with, his mind still on that damn cog, and then he realized that wasn't the source of the problem at all. As he made his way across the kitchen, the internal lights began to flicker. No, no, said Harry, dashing to the steps and swinging round the corner, nearly falling down them as he rounded it too quickly. He took them two at a time, relying on the curve of that wall to not only guide him, but carry him to the bottom of the lighthouse, to ground level where the generator was. The machine was not doing well. If it was spluttering as he took his first steps, then it had developed into a full-blown cough by the time Harry arrived, racking, deep-throated coughs that told him the patient might not belong for this world. Just like the light itself, Harry still couldn't help thinking of this machinery as a living thing, and so he talked to it as he flitted about, attempting to fix whatever was wrong. Come on, please don't die on me. You can't. Think about the light. Think about the people who might... who will die. People like Claire, like Toby, and Sally Ann. Don't think about them. Don't think about what happened when you came home and found... Okay, then. People like him. Harry shook his head, not in dismay this time, but in sheer desperation. A silent plea to the generator not to switch off, but the airlock was doing its worst. Even as Harry figured out what it might be and was unscrewing the lid of the fuel tank, the machine gave a final whimper in complete contrast to the racking coughs from before and shuddered. Then it was still, no vibrations, no thrum that could be heard throughout the building. The tuning fork had no notes to carry. The music had stopped playing. The band now departing. Harry glanced up. The lights lining the staircase were already fading, the bulbs cooling as he watched. It would be the same story throughout the tower. He should begin by lighting the backups, the oil lamps. They'd buy him some time to work out what he should do next. By now, the small emergency battery up in the service room would be firing up. That would keep the main lamp going for a short while. But he had to think of a more permanent solution, and quickly, as the shadows lengthened in the porch... The silence that had replaced the thrum and then the coughing was itself replaced by another noise, a scratching sound. Harry backed off slowly at first, then more quickly. Light the lamps, light the lamps, light the lamps, he kept repeating it to himself over and over, ignoring the new sounds and racing back up the stairs again. Unfortunately, the same acoustics that told him the generator was functioning back when it actually had been, now worked against him. 
The scratching following him up that tower as he scrabbled with his lighter and attempted to get the first of the oil lamps going. He fumbled with the lighter, though, flicking it and burning his fingers. The scratching grew louder. Then, just as he was about to put flame to wick, the splintering of the door caused him to jump and the lighter went out. They were already through, and already on the stairs. Harry's mind flashed back to finding his family, returning home after that drive through the city, witnessing the pandemonium on the streets, chaos he himself would have been a part of were it not for the headlights of his car ramming through the black. Though he had little time for this, he couldn't help reliving that evening again, reliving the weeks preceding it, the reports of nighttime deaths, eyewitnesses describing shapes and the darkness. Like everyone else, he dismissed it as nonsense, in spite of Claire's fears. Look at the map, Harry, she said, pointing to the TV news one night. The incidents are getting closer. It'll all blow over, he told her. Nothing to worry about. Besides, we never turn the lights off. Harry was referring to young Sally Ann's fear of the dark, which had started even before all this. They had always had to leave the landing light on when they went to bed. Fears that turned out to be, oh, so justified. There are street lamps outside, plus the security light outside the house. Failing that, there are always candles, if you're really scared, darling. Scared? Stupid idiot. Stupid fucking idiot. He'd even made light. God, how wrong that word choice was. Of the situation. If he could go back right now, turn back the clock he took so little notice of, then he'd bundle them all into his Renault and make for somewhere. Somewhere safe. Oh, really, like where exactly? How was he to know the chain of events that would follow? What happened near the power station, the ripping down of pylons which carried electricity to all the homes in the region, or at least something inside the dark that had caused the damage? The lights in their home, the street lamps, all useless. Oh, and then the security lamp that had been wired up to a separate battery, well, that had failed as well, because of him. Because he hadn't fucking checked that battery, had he? It had run down because he was too busy at the advertising agency. No checking routines back then, you see. Harry thought he was imagining some of it. Folk getting sucked into the blackness off the street, being dragged, to be more precise. He'd simply plowed on with his car, plowed up his driveway, his heart sinking when he saw the place in almost total darkness. Then he spotted the flickering candles. Good girl, Claire, he whispered to himself, parking up and leaving the engine running, the headlights shining on the front of their home. Grabbing his torch, he ran inside and stopped dead. What he saw was Claire and the kids huddling round the dying flame, the darkness at their backs. They were already covered in scratches, some of them deep. Poor Toby's face was a bloodied mess but they were at least alive. Claire held out a hand when she saw him, whimpering, Harry, help, help us. 
but the draft from that movement blew out the candle, and the last thing he saw was their terrified faces as the black enveloped them, the flashing of obsidian claws coming next, then the sounds. Flesh and bone shredded, the screams of his family as they were torn apart. He couldn't see any of it, and wasn't sure whether that was a blessing or a curse. His imagination supplied much worse images, but those sounds. Harry snapped out of his stupor momentarily, flashing the torch at the spot where they'd been seconds before, and heard other noises, those things retreating, backing off from the beam. But there was no sight of Claire, Sally Ann, or Toby. Tears half-blinding him, Harry stumbled backwards, leaving the house and backing up until he hit the bonnet of his car. There he slid down, crumpling up on the driveway. He'd been found there when daylight returned. Harry had been protected by the headlamps, though he wouldn't have cared if the creatures had killed him, too. He was a broken man. Taken to one of the survivor camps, he'd found out that such attacks were building in intensity all over the world. No one was dismissing the threat now, not after so many deaths, least of all Harry. It was while he was there that he learned about the defenses being swiftly put into place, about the towers that would be built to protect lighthouses, just like they had overlooking the cliffs and the sea, except these would safeguard the people on the land instead. Because the attacks were starting to happen in the daytime now as well, blackouts, only for minutes at a time to begin with, but gradually getting longer, were blotting out the sun everywhere, just as they already had the moon and the stars. Harry volunteered then, of course, reasoning that if he couldn't bring his family back, he might at least save someone else's, atone for what he'd done. And he hadn't been alone. Thousands, millions of lighthouses had been constructed, and each given their own keeper. The keepers of the light, they were dubbed by the press, back when such a thing still existed. Harry was proud to serve, and he'd stopped many an attack on innocence in his time by shining his powerful beam out into the darkness. Then one day there was simply no natural light at all. That's when Harry and his kind had been needed most of all, had been supplied with everything they required to ward off the creatures that couldn't be fought by conventional means, and they tried. By heaven, had they tried. Harry had done his duty— set his own routines to keep everything working properly, until now, until there had been no one left to answer his radio calls, nobody left to deliver supplies, no other way of contacting the outside world by mobile or landlines. Harry fumbled with the lighter again, backing up as the shadows ascended the stairs, it was too late to light this lamp, he knew that, even as the claws emerged from the black just meters away, reaching out to grab him. Harry shoved his hand in his pocket and drew the torch he always carried about his person, firing the small beam into the dark like a gunslinger.
there was that noise again, the same as it had been the night his family were murdered, the sound of those bastards inside the dark retreating. Not so brave now, are you? he shouted as he began backing up the stairs again. They paused, then followed at a distance. Harry realized that they wouldn't let him light any of the oil lamps, that if he took his eye off the blackness for even a second, enough to let his guard slip with the torch, then they'd be on him. So he continued to retreat. It was as he was passing by the living room that he heard the static on the radio crackle. Then the voice, faint at first, it grew stronger. It belonged to a woman. Hell, hello? Is anyone there? Yes, Harry wanted to shout, but he wasn't anywhere near the microphone to press the button. Yes, I'm here. Is there anyone left? I, I can't see any. There's no more light apart from our... Oh, God. Oh, God, please help us. It's going... It's going out. Harry. Harry, help. Help us. Harry made a move towards the radio, but it was already too late. The screams had started, the person obviously being savaged at the other end, and then the signal went dead. No, cried Harry. The darkness pushed forwards, and with it the creatures it contained. Harry had no choice but to begin back up the stairs again, retracing the journey he'd made not that long ago, past the bedroom level and on up towards the service room. The emergency battery was struggling to maintain the lamp. He could see that from here. It was nowhere near as powerful as the generator, and when was the last time he tested it? Harry thought for a moment. In amongst all his checks, had he done one on the battery lately? Yes, yes, of course, only the other week, or was it the other month? He'd been frightened of running it down, like... There was precious little energy in it anyway. The lens had stopped turning, though, and was just pointing out over the land in one direction. It was also flickering, just like the electric lights had been throughout the tower when the generator was failing. He didn't have much time. He knew that. Harry glanced down the stairs at the approaching tide of black then sideways at the fuel he had left. He grinned madly. By the time the lamp was failing properly, Harriet poured the fuel all over the service room and out onto the balcony as well, throwing it up onto the lamp itself where he could reach it. All the while he had his torch with him just in case, but the lamp itself was still keeping the creatures at bay. They made their scratching noises as they waited for it to die out, for Harry to be in complete darkness. But he had other ideas. He looked out as the lamp breathed its last and realized that the voice on the radio was right, at least as far as he could see. There were no more lighthouses, no more lights at all out there, just blackness. That's why he couldn't contact anyone. That's why there were no more deliveries of replacements. The darkness and the things inside had finally won. No, he said as he watched the lamp's light fade to nothing. Not yet you haven't. 
Harry readied himself, gripping the lighter that he'd need two hands to flick. He wouldn't fail this time. He couldn't. He dropped the torch, hearing it shatter rather than seeing it, feeling the black wash over him, feeling the claws raking him. There was a spark, and even as Harry died, he laughed. Because he was one of the last keepers of the light. No, he was the last keeper of the light. And even as he blacked out himself, he was still able to complete his job. That was Paul Kane's Keeper of the Light, as read by Martin Raito. We also heard from Martin last week as he read Victoria Leslie's Timekeeping. In a variegated working life, Martin has been a parent, a technical writer, and software developer, a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communication, symphony musician, and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. Thank you, Martin. And that will be our show. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.